Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 75 with Bernadette O'Shea. Bernadette O'Shea is, oh, hold that thought, Chef Notepad. Calculate your food costs and manage your recipes. That's what you need to do if you have a restaurant or a cafe because you need to know what you're doing and where you're going with your money and your recipe costs. So check them out, Chef Notepad. Also, Green Endeavour. What is Green Endeavour? Green Endeavour is the company that houses the brands Suncoast Fresh and Fruitlink. We aim to create sustainable communities where people are educated, empowered and inspired by the joy of real food, which is really important to us. Bernadette O'Shea. Bernadette O'Shea is a champagne consultant, an educator, an absolute inspiration. She's been knighted by the French government for her knowledge on champagne. She is an absolutely delightful lady to talk to, has amazing stories. It's one of our best podcasts ever. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Bernadette O'Shea. We're on. Bernadette, what are we drinking right now? We are drinking two different champagnes, Graham. So the first one we have is Blanc de Blanc, which means it's made from all white grapes. Uh, it's Perrier Jouet, fabulous house. All white grapes? Perrier Jouet, all white grapes. So champagne is made mostly from black grapes. Right. So in this case, the Blanc de Blanc is just all white grapes, so we're just doing Chardonnay. And the other two grapes we use in champagne are Pinot Noir and Mernier is the other black grape. Right. And the majority of champagnes have got Pinot or Mernier in them, or both of them in. But in this case, the first one we're drinking uh, is all Chardonnay, so just white grapes in this one. Beautiful. So it's a little starter. Yeah, just a little starter to our champagne chats today. Absolutely. How so good is that? So why do we do that? Why do we stir it around like that? Just Tell to me. get the beading up, the little bubble, little tiny beading yeah. that's in there. And you notice yeah. I use a larger glass. I don't use flutes at all. Yeah, you, I did notice that, yeah. yeah. You don't ever drink out of flutes? No. No, we use all these Amanda, throw these the flutes glasses. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you're picking up there. Let's talk about this one. So this wine, um, so Chardonnay, so you find Chardonnay on the back part of your tongue. Um, and for me, I'm getting, firstly, I'm getting sort of ripe citrus, beautiful like pomelo, beautiful pomelo mm. and pomelo in there. Mm-hmm. I'm getting little stone fruits like um, white nectarine and I'm getting beautiful peaches um, it's also developing into lovely honey. There's some honey flavours, or the top, the like end. a little top of creme brulee oh. happening in there, which hey, is just. I'm loving that you're taking me on this little journey. Mm-hmm. Is there a, like we swirl it around? Is there anything we should be doing to taste it fully? Yes. Well, you'll see when I taste, um, swirl it around in your mouth. You've got, you know, 260 taste buds on your tongue alone, or 360, I think it is, and then thousands more around the sides of your mouth. So you don't drink it down like that, like people drink water or beer. You have to actually swirl it around in your mouth so it covers all those taste buds. Right. And then if you see what I do, but don't do it if you haven't practised before, I take in air at the same time. So the way you decant a, a lovely, you know, lovely old red wine, you let the air come in. She said not to do it, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so then I get probably six times more flavours than you're getting because I'm allowing it to aerate in my mouth. So what about the air that comes back in your throat? Like I can feel it almost like going down to my lungs and, and, mm. and there's a, like there's an alcohol punch into my chest. Oh. It feels delightful. I just did it and I didn't get that. Oh, okay. I think maybe just a little bit of air. I don't think it's a heat. Mm. You probably... Stopped a bit too much. Yes. <laughs> wow. Um, very lovely. And see, then you get all the flavours covering your mouth. Beautiful. But 
Isn't it just a glorious wine? It is. And a lovely start. Yeah, straight a Chardonnay. lovely start to a podcast champagne. Yes, how wonderful is that? My God, that's beautiful. But isn't it a beautiful wine? It is. Mm-hmm. Let's go back in time. Where did your love for champagne begin? Um, I wasn't fond of other alcoholic drinks in my day. They gave women gin and tonics and things, I suppose. Gin's really in now, so popular. So it's back in vogue. Um, and cocktails. And I just didn't like them. Mm. All those fluffy duckies and whatever they all call them, those things. And now they're the biggest thing in cocktails. Sing- Singapore so, sling. Oh, whatever they're all cool. But anyway, but now <laughs> all the young ones, you drink masses of cocktails. It's very in vogue. But I didn't like those. I said somewhere one day at a party and I wasn't drinking, I just had the soft drink or whatever it was, and uh, a guy said to me, do you like wine? And I said, um, don't know, haven't tried wine. <laughs> you haven't tried wine? <laughs> so he had a bottle of Wins Kunawara Cabernet Sauvignon. Never forget that. So I never went through drinking the really cheapy wines because that was the first one I went, oh, my God, if this is alcohol, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Um, so it was that red wine and I then bought a book written by Len Evans and taught myself about wine and uh, that man, incredible palate, amazing. But anyway, but I read this book I used to teach and then go out and buy a bottle of, teach myself, go out and buy a bottle and read what he said about it and see if I could find those things. Mm-hmm. Then because I was drinking sparkling wine and then one day I was given a glass of real champagne and that changed my life, completely changed my life. Anyway, and so then on Discovery, bought a book on champagne and then taught myself about champagne. And finally entered a competition run by the French uh, called the Vin de Champagne Award, Wines of Champagne. And then I won it. Wow. And Which was great. And that was a month. I was given a month in champagne. And, well, my God, a month in champagne. I fell more in love with it, more in love with it. But I still came back and used to teach when I finally left flower business, which our family had a flower business. Um, but I was still teaching wine, so I was teaching wine. I used to do talks in boardrooms and things, but wine, but I always make sure there was a champagne in there. One start within two. Then finally I got to the stage such a following for champagne that I gave away any wines and I just taught champagne and there's enough people interested. The following in Brisbane's immense. We're great champagne drinkers here. Tell us about your time in France and when, you know, in some of the the, the, house, the, sh- the champagne houses that you would have worked in and tell, tell us about that. Well, the thing is I didn't have to work there. I was just a visitor. Oh, you win this fun champagne award and, my God, you know. And the first Queenslander, I was the first Queenslander to win it. Um, but it was just, you're just treated like royalty. It's unbelievable. And they open all these amazing champagnes for you. My God, so good. It's so amazing. It's just incredible. I had some of the most beautiful experiences and then met all these wonderful people and winemakers. You know, we call them chef to calves um, and they are just remarkable. What does that translate to, winemaker? Chef to calves? Chef to calves is the cellars. See, the cellars underneath the ground, they're all in champagne, all dug into the chalk, dug firstly by the Romans. Um, So he's head of the cellar, like chef to cuisine. Yep. You are. Yep. Uh, A chef of the kitchen. And in this case, Chef de Carve is head of the cellars. Yeah. So he's the, you know, the man that looks after and makes the wine. Yeah. This is an amazing thing they make this. This is, um, now that wine alone will have um, oh, there'll be a, 
over 40 different wines to make that one champagne. 40 different wines to make that one champagne. So in champagne, it's the three grapes, but you've got all these different regions. Okay. You have um, different vineyards, and every vineyard has its own microclimate and its own wild yeast, so its own personality. Beautiful. And then when you become nutty like I am, (laughs) if you drink a non-vintage, particularly you drink a non-vintage, because you don't know what years in it, just, you know, you find out what grapes are in it, like when we do this next one. And then yourself, you do that. And then for me to amuse myself, I try and work out what vineyards the grapes were growing in. Yes, I've heard you're very good at that. I've got a lot of practice. So I've heard that you've done blind tests and you can pick exactly nearly... um, uh, the row it was planted oh, in a no, particular vineyard. No. <laughs> no. No. No, no, no. Look, when someone told me that, it was actually, it was, it was Lucy actually. <laughs> she said, she said, um, uh, she, said <laughs> she can do a blind test and tell you the, 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 the grower, the winemaker, the row the grapes came from. <laughs> no, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> what side that the sun rose yeah, on that. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not that good. But it's fascinating because each, said each one has its own personality. Mm. Each vineyard, and you can tell the grapes. Like there's a lot of Cremant in that one. It's in the Cote de Blanc, um, and you can taste the various little vineyards that the grapes are growing in. Which is, and in Champagne, we only use. There's only three grapes. There's the Chardonnay, is the one white grape, and the other two is Pinot Noir, which we all know. And then Meunier is the other second black grape. Right. And so in most Champagnes, except we start with the Blanc de Blanc. This next one we'll drink, we'll have more of the black grapes in it. second one that you're going to drink now is different, which is... Is it rude for me not to finish this first one? I don't want to. No, 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 you'd have to finish that. Oh, you have finished it. Australian, I've got to finish it. Yes, you've got to finish. Just true. Um, This next one is Louis Roderay, Calixion 243. So that's the 243 third harvest since their inception in 1776. Wow. That's why they call it Plexion. Amazing, amazing. And this is brilliant. So Louis Roder used to make um, Brut Premier was their non-vintage. Now Jean-Baptiste Le Cayon is a chef de carte. Genius. A genius winemaker completely. He now, he started last year with 242. And I remember doing on Zoom with him, I had a bottle and I went, oh, my goodness. Jean-Baptiste, this is like remarkable. This one. That was a 17 base. This what, one's 18 base, 2018 what, base. Explain to the listeners what that means because, of course, I know. So, <laughs> um, so they use a base year. We use a base okay. year. Yeah. And in this case, the base year is 2018, right. which is one of the best vintages in Champagne. The vintages themselves haven't been released yet. You're only starting to get some of the NVs with 18 base. So by the time you were buying, at Christmas time, most of the houses will have 18 base and they are remarkable. And I remember being over there, I was over there in 18. Um, I'll tell you the reason later, the next one we're going to have, the story behind that. But I was over there and I said to the guys, you must, because 2018 is 100 years since the end of the First World War. And we gave all that Almost a whole, almost a generation of young men to go and liberate France. Yes, and they're buried over there. The most moving thing is to go to Villa Bretonnier. It's so incredible, and our museum, the Australian Museum, there is just a credit to Australia. 
and you go and you see, oh, it's, you see all these on the wall and the, there's even, you know, smoke coming from the floor and you and you hear the guns and those young guys, what they did. And they're buried and they take care of them so beautifully there. So I said to the Champenois, I said, well, you've got to, it's good, it's got to be a good year. I was there in June. They went, well, we don't know yet, Benedict. It's got to be, we've got to wait till the harvest and what's going to happen between now and September. I said, well, I said, I'm going to pray. And they said, yes, you pray. And, and well, I got all these emails back in um, September, end of September. They said, well, the prayers worked. It's not just a good vintage. It is going to be one of the greatest vintages that we'll ever make. Wow. So we've got it all, when it's time, when 18 vintages released, every Australian's got to pick up a glass and toast those beautiful young men that are buried over there because they liberated, they're incredible. And everyone should go and visit Villa Breton there too. Beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Anyway, so when, when, when will that, you said it'll be available this Christmas, so this year? Not the vintage won't be, just no. the non-vintage with the base. Like this is a base year. Yeah. But this is incredible because it's got a base of the 18, it's also got in it. He's started, Jean-Baptiste started this thing called um, a perpetual cuvee, a perpetual um, casks where he adds every year, adds the ne- another year into it. So this has got all back vintages in it, but the base wine, which is probably about 57, 55%, is all 2018. And then he adds from this beautiful perpetual blend. Um, so in that is tells me, I don't have to pick that because I can tell you I know them. He's told us 17, 16, 15, 14, 13 and 12. All those years, they all go in, they're all part of this perpetual reserve and they go into that wine. Then he takes some from oak barrels. He's got these beautiful big oak barrels and he puts wine, champagnes in that. Uh, wines because they're wines at this stage before they're made into a champagne um and he's got those going back those casks um which are quite amazing and he they go back to um 2010 so he's got all these beautiful and then they add some of the cast the oak wine not a lot of that only about 10 15 percent of that most of it comes from this perpetual reserve thing mm. um and so people what's the interesting thing right is that People don't, you're not just drinking a glass of wine, you know, like, mm. oh, no, I won't say, I won't tell you my least favourite wine, but anyway. It's a wine that's, you know, <laughs> the grapes are picked The grapes are picked at the end of February. And by the 15th of June this year, you had the 2022 wine. Hey? Mm. Four months, its whole life. This, this one, the youngest wine here is 2018 and we're in the end of 22. Mm. It's remarkable. It's a work of art. This wine is a work of art, complete work of art, Clixion. Mm. Absolutely beautiful work of art. And then all these back vintages blended in and from these oak casks. There's a lovely story about the oak cask. So the ones that the percentage they put in oak casks, as well as this perpetual reserve, um, they put a bit of that in it. And they, because they put them in oak, they through evaporation they lose 4,000 litres every year through evaporation of the casks. You know, for the angels, say the Rotary family, so mm-hmm. they will always be on our side. So we consider it to be, if you go to France, you ask, you see the Rotary there and you ask, and the Champagne de Ange, a glass of Champagne of the angels, you're always given Rotary. Because it's, and that's why angels are happy little creatures 
flying around the skies with <laughs> smiles on their face. Have you ever seen a depressed crying angel? Never, never, never. And you know when you see them, lean, there's those photos of leaning on clouds like that? That's because they're so pissed they can't fly. <laughs> but I'm coming back as an angel because I get to drink anything, that you, anyone that uses oak, like Rotary do, and there's a little percentage of oak in that wine as well, um, and Krug and Bollinger. And, oh, it's amazing houses use oak and... Tell us Angels more. Tell us more drink. about the houses, please. Tell us more yeah, about France. Right. Take us on a journey there. The houses. Well, you lots of um, in the the first one we had was a Blanc de Blanc, um, and a lot of that the Chardonnay comes from the Cote de Blanc. So we've got regions. We've got the Cote de Blanc, which has got more chalk. And by the way, I probably haven't mentioned that, but because the Champagne vines grow in chalk, chalk. So sixty million years ago, there was an inland sea, then a volcanic eruption. And up came the earth. So when the Romans conquered that part of the world, a long, long time ago, they dug and saw that it was all chalk, the ground. So they dug blocks out to build their fortresses and their houses. And all the houses blossomed in the lands, but World War I destroyed those because the bombing was horrific. Mm. The start of uh, World War I, there were 40,000 homes in the lands. The end of World War I, there were 40. Wow. wow. Just bombed and bombed. And hundreds of thousands of people would have... More would have died, but they could go down underneath the ground where all the wines are stored. So these are all stored in these chalk cellars. So where the Romans first dug, and they dug out to get their blocks, they left all these crayers underneath the ground. So there's all these lovely big avenues, and then man built many more after that. So not only did vines grow in chalk in these chalky vineyards, and particularly the Blanc de Blanc, um, but there's also beautiful chalky Chardonnay in this wine here. Um, that they then, uh, when they're blended, so the wines are, wines are blended, and then they go back down and they're <clears throat> put into bottles The second, because the second fermentation occurs in the bottle. We put sugar and yeast in that. Sugar gas upon the yeast converts that to alcohol carbon dioxide. They're the little bubbles. And then it goes back into the mother's womb again. I call the mother's womb the chalk caves, back to age. So... Like quite incredible, quite incredible. Like the, as I said to you, the youngest wine there is 2018. Wow. It's only been released, this one. Very beautiful. But they go back down there to age for all these. So when you're in Cote de Blanc, there's a beautiful lot of Cote de Blanc in this road area as well, just beautiful. So um, it's probably about uh, 40% of Chardonnay, the white grape. Uh, let's say about 40 of the Pinot Noir, the black grape, and then 20 of the other black grape. So it'd be 60, so 60% of that's a red wine, in other words, when it's not a red wine. You know? um, and 40 of the Chardonnay, and the Chardonnay is divine, utterly divine. You know? That's just beautiful wine. How many times have you been to Champagne? Many. Many, too yeah, many to count. Many. You did a tour there, yeah? You still do tours, is that correct? Yes, you I still, do, do you still do, do that? Tours. I do, that. we haven't been. I'm going in April, COVID, I'm taking a group so. in April because of COVID. It'll be four years since I've been. Wow. So I've had heartbreak. Yes. Missing out. Going to wow. Champagne. But anyway, that'll change next year. We're all travelling again. How Isn't good that is that? Yeah, yeah. Really beautiful. Um, um, so anyway, going back to, so that we've got the, the Cote de Blanc, which has got the biggest amount of chalk. Um, and then we've got, so they grow Chardonnay there. So Chardonnay, divine, like beyond divine. Um, and a lot of the, the villages that are Grand Cru. There's only 17 Grand Cru villages in the whole of Champagne, the very top. And they're in, um, there's no Grand Cru Mernier villages. 
So Grand Cru in um, the the Martin de Lans, where the black grapes, Pinus grows, and then also in the Cote de Blanc, but a lot in the Cote de Blanc. So you get lots of growers there. They'll make just a straight Chardonnay. And um, they'll just make it from one village mm. called Les Manilles or Auger or um, Avis, Cremont, and they'll just make these. Ama- so we've got lots of these little growers, small growers, smaller growers, mm. that make just out of one grape. Mm. And then you get these bigger houses that have vineyards in those areas mm. or they buy from growers in those areas. Right. Grand Cru. Then you've got the Mountain de Rance, which has got lots of Pinot Noir there. And then you've got um, the Valley de Le Mans, another little area there, where they grow a lot of the Mernier there. They also grow the other grapes as well. Then you've got down the south, so that's all up to Then down the south you've got a little area called Cote de Bar. It's like like we've got Tassie, you know, yeah. hanging off. Yeah. So Cote de Bar is down there and they grow a lot of – they're next door to Burgundy. Right. So they very grow beautiful, beautiful Pinot Noir. Lots of Pinot Noir grapes all these houses buy from someone in Cote de Bar down in the Orb around that area beautiful. because they have beautiful, yeah, beautiful, beautiful Pinot Noir. So you you, you do the you do those tours. Are you gonna? So is that a thing you're gonna be regularly doing again? The tours that you used to do? Oh, they're all booked out. They're booked <laughs> out. <laughs> she knew what I was going to ask Um So let's talk about um, how then you. Um, you've obviously got this renowned palate. Everyone I've spoken to just uh, holds you in high esteem of the highest, um, and I, I have never heard a bad word about you. And everyone absolutely respects you. And um, and then the the food. Well, actually, I, I spoke to Jake Nicholson yesterday, and I um, I asked him about you, and he said, um, you know, I wanted to hear what he thought. And he said it's one of the highest. The highlights of his year are the, are the wine or the champagne dinners and the matching. And I don't know if you know this, but Jake does not drink. And he only drinks with you. For the testing. Yeah. So, uh, he's I said, a brilliant chef, by the is, way. And, and a brilliant human. Oh, you know, he, I he is a brilliant human. He is. And, um, and two divine children. Yes. Beautiful wife. Great oh, mother-in-law. Penny. Yes. Oh, my God. I, I, I don't have a lot to do with them, but I, I saw them at Port Douglas and, yeah, them kids, gorgeous. Oh, so beautiful. But he's a very talented chef and we do a lot of dinners together. Yes. And, oh my goodness, some of the things, the last dinner we did together, he came up with, it was so beautiful. We had the chef to carve out from Verve Clicquot, uh, Didier Moriotti, brilliant, brilliant chef, a brilliant chef to carve. Um, and we were serving the Le Grand Dame. 12, 2012, and it's in a beautiful design by a famous Japanese artist. So it's got all this Japanese. So oh, it's still just the most magnificent champagne. But I said to him, can we do a theme of doing something a bit Japanesey because of this artist mm. designed the bottle and the box? He did a Japanese pancake mm. that was with scallops and prawns into the pancake, and he did this probably one of the best dishes I've ever had. Wow. It was remarkable. So how do we do it? How does the how does how do you talk from the palate of the flavour of the champagne to match it to the food? It may well come easily, but tell us the beginner's class of how we should start to do it when we're thinking about doing it at home as best we can, or 
How do we do it? How do you? How do we do it? I think the thing is that <clears throat> when you start to really learn, teach yourself about champagne, and because we use more black grapes, most of them, that's why people go, oh, so I did dinner recently, and who did I do that one with? And we put Wagyu beef. Mm. Wagyu. It was amazing because the wine had lots of Pinot Noir in it, you know. So you're sort of drinking a red wine when you're not drinking red wine. And you have beautiful, this Wagyu was just melted in your mouth. It was a beautiful piece. You probably tell me what cut it is or whatever, but it's really beautiful. And the other thing about champagne is very important. The two things that work really well, you need fat and you need salt. Ah. Like chips are one of the best things. Just someone cook <laughs> hot, hot chips. You've got that fat and you've got the salt. Have some chips with champagne, magical. Really? Oh, magical. It's one of the best combinations in the whole world. Fat and... Yeah. It's I love that. Get some hot chips and... Just get some hot chips and a bottle of champagne and <laughs> take that to the park or the beach. Yeah. You couldn't have anything better. They're just beautiful. And very easy to do too. I know. Mm. Just some chips. Mm. Yeah. You buy them already made, don't you? Just heat them up, put them in the air fryer and... But really the combination's marvellous because of the fat and salt, fat and salt. And this piece of wagyu was so beautiful because you had you had the fat and had the bit of salt in there and, oh, my goodness. What about texture? Is that? And texture's very important because the textures in those, you can see the different textures in those two. I'm going to have another one in a minute. Don't worry about that. I'm sorry if that's ringing. Is that a drive man? Anyway, um, I'll, the next one I'll show you is got um, all oaked. So it's 100% oaked. Beautiful. Big black, and it needs something like beef or duck. Duck, this one, I assume duck. And, and, and Jake was saying about that, that you um, you had a, a different approach to a lot of people who only match champagne with seafood and lighter meats. Oh, and, yes, and chicken. And he also talks about um, how how um, no two dinners have been the same no. with this, and I'm sure that um, people line up again to go to them, so that would be you know, not desirable, but, you know, I'm sure it would be actually desirable, but even better for it to be um, different every time. It's different every time. They have a new experience each time. So I work with the chefs and, and I always just so much love their input because they're professional food people. I'm not. They are. Then I'll say, what do you think? What do you... I'll explain what's in the glass and what the flavours are like and what they're feeling. They'll say, what do you think? And then they just love that. They love that, which is a great honour for me mm. to have them. These men that work with, or girls, whoever they are, work with food all the time. They're so professional. Then they'll, it challenges them. Mm. Um, and then they'll say, look, what about if we put this or this? And when I said about the Japanese, yes, well, what so we do this Japanese? Anyway, the whole thing just turned out to be magical. And one time I did a, talking about Jake, I did a beautiful one up at um, Donna Chang's. Yeah. All Chinese. Oh, my goodness me, that was unbelievable. Chinese cuisine, beautiful champagne. Japanese cuisine, divine. For instance, I think Japanese food, rosé champagne, with Japanese food is the best match in the world. Wow. Yeah, amazing. This is, this is the kindest, the most beautiful food wine there is. See, when we say we're using this one, we're using a lot of black grapes, um, but we don't, in Champagne, we never touch the skins. That's why it doesn't come out like a red wine because making red wine, of course, they've got to, you know, like some places they still stomp on the grapes mm. and you plunge and press, as you know, and then you ferment on the skins, mm. keep doing that. You get the colour from the skins. Yeah. We don't ever touch the skins. 
So we only get the white juice that's inside the black grapes, just the white juice. So I could, you could be drinking here a glass of what we call Blanc de Noir, like that's Blanc de Blanc. Then Blanc de Noir is white of black. So it's 100% black grapes. It will only be that colour. Yeah. But it's you're drinking a straight red wine, in other words, when you're not drinking a red wine. So you get the flavours that come through, and that's why you can challenge it with all these beautiful things like lamb. I'm doing one in a few weeks, and we're doing beautiful pink lamb, this divine wine she's doing with a great rosé. But um, you can put all these in ducks and, you know, any game you can put with it. You, you can do amazing things. And people think, <clears throat> you can't put that with champagne. But yes, you can. And should you have a glass, a, a sip of champagne after every mouthful, how does that work? How do we eat? The sip should we, we have, have a piece of food, then a champagne? Is that you need? You know? Well, yes. If you, that's why I do all my di- things with dinners. I do dinners because you need to eat. You need to have food. Yes. You need to have food. Yes. Then you appreciate it more. So the we should have bought food instead of flowers, Scarlett. No, I've got food here. Oh, I have plenty of food for you. Beauty. Well, we're staying the whole afternoon. You know that. <laughs> okay, bring the food out in a minute. Actually, you should bring the food. Why don't I open the third champagne for you? But um, yeah, so you need to just sip the champagne first, mm-hmm. the rest of it, and then see the nose. The nose on these wines. Okay, going back to my floral background. You know, the amount of flowers I'm getting out of that wine and even out of that one, quite amazing, like mm. incredible. Just I smell and tell you exactly what flowers are in that. Um, but going back to um, the, the way the wine's made, uh, so we don't touch the skins, so we don't get... And when you don't touch the skins, not you not only not get the colour, but you're again in the, in the tannins and the histamines because they're all in the skin. Mm. So you leave those behind. And therefore, people that do, sadly, there's not lots of them, people who have got an allergy to wine, certain wines, certain people, the allergy I've found strongest is Shiraz, of all things, our most famous grape in Australia. Mm. A lot of people get, they'll get very swollen eyes. People with sinus problems will have a lot of problems. But people have problems, but they can always drink champagne and never have a reaction because it's the purest wine. It's made second in, uh, fermentations in the bottle, so it goes through a double ferment. Um, and then it lies for all those years in, down in the chalk cellars for years and years and years and years. So most current vintage art now in Champagne, only not many houses have it out as 15. Most are still on 14. Some are still on 12. Some are still on 8. Mm. And we're in 22, which is wow. quite remarkable. Um, but we don't, so we leave all those tannins and histamines behind. So therefore you don't get a reaction. People can drink that, they can't drink any other wine, always drink Champagne. And so no Champagne reactions. is an antihistamine. Yeah, it is indeed. All right. Absent, well, there's no histamine. Absent histamine. It is absent histamine. It is. It is. You don't get that. really hot when you drink wine. Um, Scarlett, you're hot before you drink wine. Yeah. <laughs> but I get like, quite a hot face when I drink wine. Yeah. That's coming from the histamines. It's coming from the histamines. And it's coming from tannins. You have that. So you've not, you haven't no, got a hot face. Hot. You're not no. at all. Not at all. The purest thing in the world and so good for you. And also with champagne, if you, and this is seriously true, from champagne you will never, as long as you don't mix anything with it, by the way, we must have water. Water is very important. Um, with champagne you won't get a hangover. Mm. What's the thing that gives you hangovers is in all the wines there's a preserve. It's in champagne as well. The back of any label you'll see any wine, white wine, red wine, sparkling wine, champagne, You'll have um, 
300, which is ascorbic acid, which is vitamin C, which is good for you, means wine's a tonic, very good for us. Then the other thing we'll have on is 220. So 2,2-O is sulfur dioxide. It's a preservative. It's no new thing they're adding. People go, oh, it's a new thing. Oh, no, 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 no. Romans and Greeks first made wine. They added sulfur to preserve it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to keep it. We wouldn't be able to keep the wines. There are some wineries in Australia that make wines with no preservative at all, which is great for the people who have a serious reaction. But you can't lie them down. You can't sell them like we do our wines and so forth. Um, but in Champagne, we use the least amount of sulfur dioxide. So we a very tiny amount because when we put we put sugar and yeast in the bottle, so we use um, they use beet sugar. At the end of the process, when we add a dosage, which I'll talk about later, um, that's cane sugar. So I think they use one sugar to keep the European market happy and the other one to keep the colonies happy. I don't know, but anyway. So tell me about the first sugar. First sugar is beet sugar. Which is? Beet sugar from beets. In, um, beetroots. Beet, beets, they call them. I suppose they're a form of beetroot. They're, they're the sugars grown in there in Europe. Beets okay. everywhere. So that's the sugar we use to bring about the second fermentation. We need sugar and yeast. Yes. And I told you before, that'll convert it to alcohol, carbon dioxide. And then it lies down in the cellars, goes down and lies there, and that goes into the bottle, right? Um, so it's happening in the bottle. It's, it's this pure wine. Do they have to turn them? No, like? not yet. No, no, oh, we're a long way off turning. Oh, Graham, you're way ahead of this. <laughs> you're thinking of that other wine I didn't mention, but, oh, my God, that they, that's all out in four months. Oh, for God. Oh, right, okay. They're sold. But, um, no, so, <laughs> so when we put <clears throat> the yeast we put into the bottle... It's called le cure de tirage. That's the sugar and yeast thing. We use, there's, there are some in the oxygen in the lees of the yeast. So when we put that into the bottle for it to lie down, look for years, that's got oxygen in it, which keeps the wine fresh. So the end of the process, um, when we add, when the bit of the additives used to preserve it, the 220, the sulfur dioxide's added, we use the least amount. There's actually more sulphur dioxide in a dried apricot there is in that half a glass of that champagne. So that's why with champagne you don't get the hangovers. It's the sulphur dioxide that's bad. So for me, the worst four-letter word in the dictionary, I hope no wine makes are listening to this, the worst four-letter word in the dictionary is spelled C-A-S-K. Cask wine is poisoned with sulphur dioxide. Because yeah. it's in a cardboard box, in a plastic bladder inside. And then for it to come out of the, the little box, they make a tap or a concertina thing made mm. of solid plastic, which means, for instance, I won't buy any of my oils in plastic. No. How bad plastic is. It really is bad. Um, and so they triple the amount of sulfur dioxide already in the bladder for it to pass through that much plastic at the outside. So mm. have a couple of glasses of that. My goodness me, you'll feel so. Your whole head, your stomach will ache. Oh, my goodness me, cask wine. should be banned for females because it strips all the iron from the bloodstream and women lose enough iron. And, you know, it should have those messages they put on cigarette packages. Really? That bad? Yeah, cask wine, very bad. The other four-letter word. It's hard to hang one from the clothesline, a bottle, but it's <laughs> <laughs> Well, they say footy, go the footy matches, you use the little silver <laughs> thing, it's little cushions. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the other four-letter word saying the C is a dual word and it's called Coca-Cola. Mm. So it's the amount of sugar. So when what happens is every bit of sugar is converted to alcohol. So we put sugar and yeast in the bottle. 
The sugar's converted to alcohol, so at the end of the process, it's bone dry, absolutely bone dry. No dosage at all. And then we add a dosage at the end. Explain what a dosage is. It's called the cute expedition. It's the dosage of the wine to bring it up to what we perceive as brut. Yes. Because everybody's sugar's been converted. So they add, it depends on the houses, but you can, you can buy them called zero dosage or son dosage or zero where they've got no added sugar. It's for all the girls on diets. Yeah, 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 diet champagne there is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are making drier and the chefs really like the drier champagnes to go with their food. They don't want any sugar clouding it up a bit. So those are popular. Or a lot of them now have got the dosage down very low that they only use something like five grams, six grams. The average is around about eight grams of sugar per litre bottle. But in comparison, that four-letter word, two-dual word called Coca-Cola's got 150 grams of sugar per litre. Wow. 150. And we're talking about eight maximum in these. Some of them are only three, four, five. And it depends on the style. And a lot will depend on the chef de cave doing his assemblage, we call it, the blending, the assemblage. He will have grapes. It's a riper year, for instance. So they use lots of years in this, like that's 18 bays. 17 was a, a riper year. Um, 15 was riper. Um, 12 was riper than a lot of other years. So there's enough, uh, there's enough sugar in the grape itself and therefore, they'll, certain years or certain years they're making, they'll think this is enough richness, enough natural sugars, so we won't add much dosage. Mm. So it's an individual choice. There's no pattern for it, no pattern at all. So the dosage is basically a sugar additive at the end, the second sugar, yeah? It is. Right. Into okay. the, Just the wine to... already made, champagne yeah. already made, the wines already made, the wine already made, and then they add because it's yeah. bone, bone dry before yeah. that. And then they'll add that in. And they'll, that's their own recipe for a house. Some, and then different countries, for instance, the houses will make one. We are very much the, the British palates and we like them dry. We dry. But there's like South Americans and so forth, they like them sweeter. Even the Americans actually like it sweeter. Well, if anyone that puts syrup on their breakfast, well, yeah. You, know, you understand <laughs> they like them sweeter. <laughs> But um, so they will up the dosage for those markets. Yeah. So they might go 10, 11, 12 grams of sugar per litre. They'll go higher because they prefer that sweeter. They don't prefer to. We've got much drier palates here. So the average is around about eight, but they're down low. Like even a house like Moita Chandon, you know, the biggest house and so forth. But their current vintage, which is 13, which is beautiful, has only got six grams of sugar per litre in it. Wow. People would expect that, but for the American market, they would up that for them. This is uh, Bicat Simon, or fondly called Bicat Salmon in Australia, but Bicat Simon, uh, and this is Subois. So S-A-U-S-N-B-O-I-S, which is, and you can see the sort of wooden colour. It's 100% oak, so it means under wood. So it's all oaked, and it's very beautiful, and... Oh, yeah. And now you can smell particularly the Mernier in this one. You can smell that lovely Mernier is, um, oh, Mernier is like bread styles, brioche, bready. Um, oh, that, wow. Yeah, and then you get that lovely we- earth. Like you, you leave the polluted city behind, you drive to the country and you smell that lovely smell country that. earth. It's brioche. Yes. Earth. 
And that's all. Can you smell that? Yeah, I love how different they are. I that's why I was trying to give you three very different things. Mm. They've all got their own personality. Yeah. They're all beautiful, you know. So this is one, um, because it's all oaked, completely oaked, that this is one that needs, it needs red meat. Okay. You put it with duck or one chef did for me once. He did it um, because it's under, uh, under wood. Like he, so he did um, he did a form of wax, some beef anyway, but he did it like under wood or mm. cooked, cooked on wood. It's a vine and it, with this is the vine. But isn't that lovely? So it's got a third, a third and a third. So it's got a third of Pinot Noir, a third of that Mernier and then a third of Chardonnay. It feels buttery and delicious, doesn't it? I think you said brioche before, but it's... Isn't it really that brioche nose, though? Isn't that fabulous? Yeah, yeah. It's fabulous. Stronger. Um, so a bit stronger, and it's all under oak, so that's all under... There's a little bit of oak. There's no oak in the Perichouette, the Blonde de Blanc. They didn't use oak. Jean-Baptiste used some oak. There's some lovely oak. Uh, and when we talk about oak and champagne, I must just mean, was well, this is 100% oak? This one is champagne... Matches any palate. So if you get a red wine drinker, it goes, oh, no, no, I want them a red wine. It's all done in oak. But you give them a glass of that. It's beautiful. It is. And you get other wines like Krug. My God, Krug is just all oaked. Beautiful. Bollinger, oaked. Beautiful. And you do some amazing, amazing dishes with them. But um, in this case, you know, that's where you need a, you need, yeah, you need duck or you need, Pheasant, or you need beef, and you need—I'd even—I'd go stronger than lamb. I'm doing lamb soon with a rosé, which will be beautiful for dinner. But this, but this, imagine you just don't want to put that with little white seafood. Doesn't mm. it? Needs something stronger, mm. and needs lovely mushrooms would be beautiful with it too. And yeah, truffle, so, truffles, so that, oh truffles, oh, oh God. Do you want me to organise you some truffles? Oh, truffles are divine. Have you been getting any this season? I've had one, a friend, uh, her son grows them up in Stanthorpe, just the oh, yeah. dog finds them and she brought us down, brought me down one. Next. Oh, God. But can you imagine truffle with that? Ah. See, when I said about the earthiness too, in that earthiness is like where they dig out the truffle, mm. go to the Stanthorpe or somewhere and dig out a truffle. And um, I've, heard, I've heard there's a fellow, I must ask you about that later, someone that's uh, Asian here for Canberra ones. I once yep. had a Canberra one. It was beautiful. We just, I, 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 I just went truffles. over with Debbie Ola, Oliver to um, WA and we, we went. And the truffles, they're beautiful. Oh, the, we were just so many. The dogs were beautiful. They looked after the dogs oh, there. Oh, God, yes. And um, we had truffles like you have champagne. We had it for every meal. Oh, but how wonderful. We had truffles for breakfast, truffle and marin for lunch, and it was just absolutely stunning. Oh, we, my goodness, man. We just showed a picture of the truffles. Look at the, the size of uh, them. Uh, there was there would have been a ton of truffles, literally a ton on this table. Oh my god! Yeah, and that's the truffle and the, dogs, and that's yeah. the dogs. What sort of dogs that one? A uh, chocolate lab. A lab, oh, because you know I'm dog crazy. So I look at the oh, dogs yeah, before the yeah. truffles actually, but but my god, look look look, and then gets a reward when it finds one, does it? Yeah, they drop the uh, little um, pink thing, yeah. and then someone later comes back and, and digs digs up and gets the it up. Yeah, but where's so the dogs look, just oh, find see. them? And they scrape with their See, front paw sense and then they smell report. in a dog. Is like, oh, my God. Is that paradise? It is that paradise. That with some bottles of that champagne. 
and truffles so beautiful with champagne. Look at this. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Isn't that fabulous? We had a great time. Oh, my God. So just to bring everyone up to speed, we're showing photos of the truffles trip that we did <laughs> with Debbie Oliver, which if is also on the podcast. It as well, Instagram. <laughs> yeah, Scroll a little bit down, you'll see a beautiful truffle photo. Yeah, it's delicious. That truffle, divine. Can you imagine truffle with this? I can. Beautiful. So what about the vegetarians? Is that mushroom that we're going to go with? So vegetarians, um, yeah, well, most the thing about champagne, it's very, very good with any vegetables. Like oh. <coughs> carrots are beautiful mixed oh. with pumpkins, a divine mix. Cabbage is one of the best. At home here, I just stir-fry cabbage and have it with a couple of glasses of champagne. When you, say, when you say stir-fry, just in olive oil or butter? Or? Yeah, I use it. Well, you can do it either way you like and put butter because sometimes when you get one of these lovely full malolactic buttery wines, I do a bit of butter. I do yep. a bit of butter and oil together, yep, olive okay. oil and butter together. Yeah. Um, and then, to- you know, put it finally and just toss it very quickly. Yeah. And then that crunchiness. And that gives you, like, the texture in the wine. Like, these wines all had very individual textures. Yeah. Do you notice that? Mm-hmm. Texture in the mouth. So different. And then, and I love vegetables in the fact that the texture you get in them. Yeah. And that's why there's certain ones you put with the carrots and some of you put with the pumpkin, some of you put with... Um, cabbage, but they're combinations that I just love. I love. So vegetarians are very good with champagne because all those vegetable things they eat are perfect with champagne. I just I just love that you know all this stuff and I love that you've probably discovered it over time and it's, you know, it's 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 news to me about this, you know, pumpkin and carrot and oh, um, cabbage and... Oh, wonderful. So when you sit down with chefs and have they ever said the wrong thing? Have they, have they gone and said, how about we match this with artichoke? And then you've gone, no, well, Jake, we, you don't can, be silly. You can, yeah, no, you can't put artichoke. <laughs> goes well with champagne. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Almost everything well, goes well with champagne. Really? That's uh, good. Okay. The one thing I don't like is um, like Cape gooseberries. Okay. It's a bit of that taste doesn't work. Yeah, okay. And, and you also you said to me about one of our Brisbane's best restaurants that might not work is that's the char of the fire. Yes. And so what I don't like, um, and it's one of Brisbane's best restaurants I know, but they cook everything over coal mm-hmm. and so everything comes out blackened. So sorry, sorry, Ben. <laughs> the cabbage came out blackened. Yeah, but by the way, he's a brilliant chef. He is. We did a lovely and champagne dinners together you know for what? years, he and I. <laughs> He is a brilliant human again, actually. Yeah. They're actually two of my favourites, you know. I have a half a dozen man. of them. But, but yeah. he's done some wonderful dinners with yeah. me, amazing dinners. And, what, and such a gentleman as well. Yeah, in a previous place. But, um, oh, my God, we've done some great dinners. But, like memories. But it's just for me as a champagne drinker, for everyone else adores the restaurant and the food's beautiful, but everything was blackened. So my cabbage, I thought, oh, cabbage, what a cabbage. Blackened. Yeah, yeah. The, the carrots came out blackened, you mm. know, everything was blackened. And I'm trying to drink a beautiful glass of champagne. In the end, I just had to give away the champagne because I just drank water because <laughs> it just didn't so go that's with when you've got to go into the wine. You've got to get, no, well, I don't drink wine yeah, anymore. Okay. But I, I don't like the blackened thing. You can't, yeah. it doesn't work. Mm. It doesn't work, but, you know. We'll remember but, that. Um, Tell me, have there ever been any of your dinners where you've had an absolute disaster? Nope. Good. No. Next question. Um, no. <laughs> never. We go to it first because we go. I go to the chefs and we sit down and we taste the wines. No juicy stories. No we one's dropped a heap of bottles or no. What? No. No juicy stuff it's to just tell you. I know. But before we have like by doing that preparation first, you don't forget how to get a water. Oh yeah, you drink a I bit must of have water. Water is very important, everybody. You're drinking champagne or any wine, you must drink water. 
because I need to drink water and champagne. I'm a fuss pot about the water too. So, yeah, we, we talked water. about that off air. So you don't drink tea or coffee? No. So how do you start a day? Well, what what type drink. of champagne is a breakfast champagne? <laughs> <laughs> if only. So I just start with that. Water. And stuff cool water and I drink that all day. Nice. Um, you must be healthy, really. Water and champagne. Not, you got no soft drink, you got no coffee. Water and tonic. Yeah. Tonic, it is. Well, I'm very lucky. I mean, I haven't, I know you poor soul been through it, but I haven't had any flu and I haven't had any COVID. Nice. Mm. Like the ones I claim it might be that. <laughs> is that the best excuse you've ever heard? It's definitely champagne. That's a news article. Champagne. <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't. Mm. No, no sign of it. And I mix, you know, I do a lot of dinners with a lot of people, 50, 60 people. I do classes every week with public coming in. I've had no COVID. Better touch that. Mm. Tell us about your books. Yes, I read a book. Um, Just one or two? Is it two? No, only one. Okay. I must have read it. Champagne and Chandeliers. I've, I've got one in my office, had one in my car for a week. Here it is. A beautiful book. So what I did was take, I I'll take a photo of that too. wine book. What I did was just take great, great stories of history here. Really old history stories where I was able to get the menus, um, and then they have this one thing about this one unifying thing in the whole world that every every single dinner the toasts are always done. That's the only thing they ever use for a toast. So they might have a dinner with all different wines, and then they'll always have the toast is always champagne. Because you pick up that glass, uh, it says everything. It speaks every language. So if you've got the Emperor of Japan, um, the President of the, of the United States, oh, no, let's say the one of France, let's talk about France, but it's quite a different language. So with Japan, you'll have France, and then you'll have the Prime Minister of Australia, for instance. They're all together. They don't speak the same language. But the moment they do that, that says it all. That says, yeah. you know, that so, signs the so seal. as soon as they raise their glass for the people who can't see us. Mm-hmm. Yep, raise the glass. And then that speaks every language. So they might speak the so, it's the success of their meeting, the whatever business agreement they've come across, or just to toast someone. Um, like you see, it, there's a lot of back, you know, wonderful things on at the moment, showing you all the Queen and the various people, and all the leaders of the world, and everybody that's there. And you see, there's photos of them at the dinners, and you'll see them like that. Everybody's got they're in a flute, though, not that one, but they're in a flute. Uh, and but you see them all raising their glass. How did champagne get itself to there? How did it market itself to there? Like. Because, accidentally market itself there, probably. Yeah, I think probably it was the... Because when it was first made, it was much sweeter. Mm. So we talked about the dosage before and yep. Coca-Cola with all that dosage. Um, and you can buy a dessert champagne. You can buy one that's got lots of... But what a ridiculous thing to drink, like, really. <laughs> well, why would you put sugar in that or a lot of sugar in that and make it really sweet? No. Ruins the flavour, I think. I'm not a very a big fan of sweet. No. And... Yeah. Uh, and it's very in vogue, though, for a lot of the young ones now. They'll buy the sweet ones and they just put it on a big big glass with all ice and pour it on the ice. Mm. But anyway, I'm not a fan because why would you kill this divine wine by just sugaring it up? Mm. Um, but I think maybe so they were sweeter in those days. They were served after dessert than the, the toasts were made. And the toasts yeah. were always with this. And there's only one thing you, t- you think about. You can't pick up a glass of beer or rum and coke or a red wine or something and toast someone, you don't. You toast with only one thing. Mm. You christen every child with champagne, you christen every ship. Yes. The only ship they didn't christen, of course, was Titanic because they'd built the un- they'd built the unsinkable ship, as they said, so they refused to 
There's a story now on you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They refused to christen it. It was going out. They said, no, we won't christen Because everyone, every, you know, they threw the bottle. Yeah, they smashed the bottle, yeah. They smashed the bottle against it. And that's safe, keep you safe and the rest of it. And they, they said, no, because we built the unsinkable ship. So it's maiden voyage. It went out. Big iceberg said, going to get you because you weren't christened with champagne. And it Done. sunk. It sunk. Yes. And talking about ships, um, I was very privileged to have a beautiful bottle of champagne. It was 1907 uh, from a ship sunk in the Baltic Sea. There's a oh, few of those being found. What a fantastic in, story. Yeah, there's some great stories. Tell me this one. This is good. This one's a wonderful story. So it was a German submarine. So during World War One, so in 1916, it was sunk by a German submarine um, and it was down there. And then people knew that was down there. On board was a whole cargo of um, champagne and cognac. was another thing, a whole cognac. And um, I got to know this man because I wrote the story in my book. I got to know this man just through emails, but it was so fabulous. But I felt so sorry when he told me the whole story because he said he did a futures, do you call it a futures bet? Or was, uh, I'm, I'm not into sort of that money stuff, but a futures bet he did with the, with the bank or something. Mm. So he said that. He he, went, he was the one who discovered it. He discovered this fabulous guy, discovered where it was. So yeah. He put years and years into this thing and he put the futures bet because he needed money for his big research stuff. And he put the money because the cognac would be alive, the spirit would be alive and, and the champagne would be gone, dead. The champagne was not alive but it was brilliant and the cognac was all gone, dead. Really? So, so he lost cognac- all his money. Then when I was speaking to his back work, he's an electrician. Oh, genius oh. man. But anyway, they found it and they sent the – and I got to, only through email to know the, the two guys that went down. He sent me the photo of the guys that went down and found, bought up the first bottle. So they sat there, the three of them, doing this thing. Oh, this is good. This is amazing. So it's in the Baltic Sea. And the interesting thing about the Baltic Sea, they found other great wines there too over the years. And the oldest one I think is about – 1846. In sunken ships. Co- sunken ships, but in the Baltic Sea. There's no salt in the bottom of the Baltic Sea. It's the salt that destroys. So the thing, the wines they found from where the Titanic sunk, but of course the sea, the salt gets in there. Mm. But there's no salt in the bottom of the Baltic Sea. Um, and this, they tried this wine and went, oh, my God, is this beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And then they thought, well, you know, well, we're no experts. So, they, so the divers went back down again and, Bought the bottle up, bought some more bottles up, and they took it on shore and then asked for They had a French expert there and said, Would you try this wine? And this person said, The guy said, This wine is not just good, it is absolutely perfect. And they said, Why is that so? This was all happening. So I'd watched this on SBS. And that's why I was determined. I thought, I've got to try this. I've got to have this. My poor boss. I said, I've got to buy it. You've got to buy it. We've got to buy some. Which costs like two arms and two legs. But. Um, they, he said, well, you must remember that this wine is a three, you know, of storing wine, storing champagne, same thing, you know. You have no light. Light's very dangerous, like that bottle there. It's been covered. I only took it out of its wrapping um, before, but yeah. it's been covered the whole time in wrapping because light, clear bottles are dangerous. Mm. Oh, is that is where they the put light? the, is that the, the yellow cellophane the on, the, on the crystal? Let's ah. get that golden cellophane. That's to stop any light getting in. Right. So light comes in, pulls the wine apart. Um, he said there's no light. It's pitch black down the bottom of the sea. Um, it's um, 
a constant temperature. It was three degrees down there. It kept three degrees as constant. Constant temperature is what wine storage is about, more so than the, although not too hot or anything like that. Um, and the other thing he said, no movement. There's been no movement, like you know, shut. Like they say, don't put a cellar underneath the staircase where you run up and down all day. Mm. Vibration, <clears throat> so no movement. So he says, no movement. It's been lying still down the bottom of the sea. And he said, that's why this wine is not just good, it's perfect. And also you must remember that you had the sea, you had all that, um, um, of the sea itself, the pressure, the sea, and that had kept all the CO2 in the bottle. It like suspended in animation mm. and it kept it perfect. It was not just perfect. So we bought two bottles. Uh, we actually had one couple flew in from New York for my dinner, which I thought was amazing. But we opened these bottles up, but they were just glorious. And then on two other occasions I've had it, friends had bought a bottle and then probably the most famous, most famous palates in the world, Pecker, came out and he bought his last bottle of the Baltic Sea 07. Um, mind-blowingly, mind-blowingly brilliant. Where do these Alive dinners happen? Perfect. Where, where, where is all this happening? Well, happened in Brisbane. I do them all in Brisbane. Yeah. yeah. In hidden Beautiful. locations. Different locations and different wonderful chefs. We're blessed in Brisbane that we have some of the best chefs in Australia here. Yeah. Who are your favourites? No pressure. Well, we're not allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many good ones. And they've all yeah. got their own talents. There's certain dinners you do at certain places because they'll have the talent for that type of wine that I'm doing, that one, that house, mm. and other ones for other ones. And, oh, my God, there's some good chefs here. So blessed. We are. I, I, I actually are. really second that. Like, and everyone's starting to talk about it more and more and more that we're, 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 you know, we're getting better and better and better. And I think, dare I say this ugly word, uh, COVID, pushed a few people up from down south, um, which then they, they weren't standing out. It was just they were just matching what we were doing here. It wasn't like they come and said, oh, we're amazing because we're from Victoria or whatever. But, yeah, we've, we've got some really good things coming. I think, you know. Amazing. Off, no. There's going to be a lot of celebrating here over the next 10 years with the Olympics and everything coming. So exactly. There's lots of exactly. good things happening in Brisbane. Yes. And you can't have any good occasion without champagne. You Seriously, can't. it's the drink of celebration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is amazing, and it'll be interesting. It'll be amazing to see. Well, not till after Monday the funeral, but how much champagne will be drunk over in London? Yeah, and they will drink the wine. They will drink will be Winston Churchill or Paul Roger, because Paul Roger was served at the royal weddings, and uh, and Winston Churchill's named it's Paul Roger named the Cuvette of Prestige after that famous man that would drink nothing but Paul Roger. He just said, you know, that's all I'll drink. I don't want any other champagne now. I only want to drink Paul Roger. Winston Churchill. <clears throat> so when he died, 65, they put a vintage, they put their new Cuvette of Prestige and they called it Cuvette of Winston Churchill. And their first release was 75. And it's the wine that will be drunk. You know? Wow. <laughs> As he said about champagne, in victory we deserve it, in defeat we need it. Right. Very true. <laughs> So, uh, tell me now, because because you know so much about champagne, where right now, where is the best champagne in the world? What do you wish you could have, uh, which you probably have in your fridge? Um, but you know, what's around the world? Tell us all the stuff that you'd be desiring to line up for the rest of this, the year. Well, champagne can only come from champagne. Of course. Right, I know. But, champagne, um, only from champagne. Yes, that's a silly question. I guess what I'm saying is... Um, where is it hidden? 
Has it all gone somewhere? Is it all in Champagne still? No, there's lots of people. There's a lot of collectors around. Mm-hmm. I'm very privileged and I have some friends that have a lovely collection, which I don't have, yeah. but they do have. Um, and we'll open special things going next week for a friend's birthday. He's a Collects beautifully. He's also a Vanda Champagne winner, uh, as I am, and we'll be drinking. Um, we're going to drink like eighty ones, early eighties, and so forth. And we can drink like champagne lives beyond any wine, beyond any red wine. Um, so we had a dinner recently, at another great friend's place, and we drank um, seventy one, which is an amazing year. Because Chef de Cave was out from France, and he. Uh, was born in 71. So this fellow had collected this divine 71. It was magical. It was so good. Yeah. Also, my favourite year was 64. love 64. And so he opened a beautiful bottle of 64 for us and we drank in 88. That's one of my, of my favourite years, 88. Genius year. Like They've got so much life still in them, like mm. 88. So my friends, these serious wine drinkers, and myself, I'm very blessed because they've got some of these bottles. But we're only drinking... 80s and 90s now. We haven't started on the 2000s yet, you know, there. <laughs> so, so, yes, um, but then coming into the 2000s, 2002 I love and 2008 is genius year. Eight, very interesting thing <clears throat> for all the Chinese listeners, like they say eight is a lucky number, mm. but they're pretty right, you know. 78 was a great year, 88 a genius year. like Double, yeah. 88 was like... Unbelievable, the champagne. I told everyone to put it down. It still hasn't reached its peak yet, the 88s. And we had 88s. I did a dinner and we flew out some magnums of 88 that had been just recently degorged. So you leave them on the yeast. They won't die. This is a living substance. It won't die. Then you take them off the yeast. That's when they start to do like all of us do age. But these had been in their cellars, the dark. Remember we're down in the bottom, right down underneath the ground where the cellars never change. The temperature's always 9 degrees. So it could be 25 outside, warmed out with 25 below zero there in Champagne, in the most northerly vineyard in France. So very, very cold. But the temperature in the cellar never changes, eight degrees also. So it's this constant thing, this growing in chalk, being made, blended, made, put back down to the mother's womb, back into chalk again. It lies in chalk its whole life. So it's about to be turned, even it's turned down in the chalk cellars and then come to us. But it just knows nothing but chalk. So it knows nothing but nine degrees. That's all it knows. And the chalk also absorbs any moisture. So, and it also absorbs any warmth. So during the very cold spells where most grapes would die in those conditions, you know, below zero, about temperatures, they stay alive because it's the chalk, this valuable thing. Other people call it chalk. I call it white gold because mm-hmm. it's white. It's so valuable. It's so amazing. Um but the wine, no, I was finishing something and I diverted to the chalk. But um, That's the champagne. We've had three now. Yeah, that's right. We have. Um, <laughs> we're I talking about eight as a lucky number. Oh, we were. Thank you, Scarlett. Thank you very much. So 88 and then 2098, another beautiful year, and then 2008 is one of the great vintages. It's... They say it's the best since 96, like 96 was an amazing year, but I think it's the best since 88. What makes them great? Just perfect, perfect. What makes the eights great? Mm. Yeah, it's the eights. It's amazing about eights being a lucky number. And now the 2018 I was talking about, we all have to have one to honour our Australian men. Uh, but, my God, that's and that's why that beautiful Rotorare, 
See, 50% of that's from the 18 vintage, mm -hmm. and that's what makes that a remarkable wine. Oh, no, plus the blending. I mean, he's blending going back, you know, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, in that all mixed mm -hmm. in. Like, that's remarkable. Mm -hmm. Like, but, uh, but the 18 base, see if you have a good base year. So that's why at Christmas, the NVs will be 18, most of them will be 18 bases. That will be so but good. But then it when says that on the bottle? How do we know doesn't. that? How do we know that? Well, can I give a plug? Yeah. So I'm the champagne consultant for the Wine Emporium. We have a beautiful shop at Gasworks and our staff are so well trained. Um, and they'll be able to tell you that that's this one and this one and this one. These are all 18 bases. Right. Yeah. But when the vintages come out, of course, the vintage is on the bottle. Okay. These are non-vintage because that's what champagne's really about is non-vintage. It's a blended wine. Mm. That's why we do different. So... Every bottle, like this wine here, um, yeah, that's probably got very maybe forty-eight different wines in it. Wow! To make one champagne, um, and different years. We have a base wine, and then you blend all these Vendre Reserve wines in it to make it then sort of a house style, and then it's 100% fermented in oak. But when we use oak, we don't use new oak. We use barrels from Burgundy. So our neighbour, our neighbour next door, just below Champagne, is Burgundy. So they use, you know, red Burgundy's Pinot Noir and white Burgundy's Chardonnay, and that's the two grapes we use, plus we have a Mernier as well. Um, and so we buy their barrels. So our barrels are never new. We don't want any resin from wood. That's what you never get. You never get resin from wood. You wouldn't get that that woody. Mm. You don't get that big, oaky. terrible, over-oaky flavour. We don't want that mm. uh, at all. So we still get the complexity from the wood, but no resin mm. from that wood, no resin at all coming through. So And yet you get complexity. So there's a lot of complexity in that. And even the Rotorare, um, you get lovely, you use a portion of oak, not a lot, but a bit, and you get, people get old oak barrels of used. Perigeret has got no oak at all, but lovely complexity with the blending of the different vineyards there, which gives that beautiful riches. But aren't they three individual wines? Mm. Very beautiful, aren't they? You've taught me so much. Oh. I like, like, I, honestly, like, I'm young, 26, so... You are I, young. So, God, young. Sorry. <laughs> you are. So the thing is, uh, I wouldn't say I've had expensive champagne <laughs> no. before. You probably have. Have. Have, had real, have had real, though. We're just had champagne... Well, this means we're not, but it's real. You, you, only champagne can only come from France. It comes from a place called La Champagne. Mm -hmm. You can't get... Even in France, if you go drink a, a wine with bubbles and so forth, if you're outside the district, like, you know, if you're... It's a Van Mousseau over there. So we've got a Van Mousseau, which is a sparkling wine. Mm -hmm. So when you do sparkling wines in Australia, New Zealand, Italy, Spain, USA, they're all sparkling wines. There's only one champagne made in the world. It comes from a place called Champagne. Mm. Champagne comes from Champagne. And it's so different. So different. Mm -hmm. I don't like the other the ones, real thing. but these Aren't are they incredible. lovely? Yeah. Is there... Oh, yeah, it's going to cost you a bit of money, I think. Is there a good sparkling? <laughs> well, no, she's on her own now. She can sort herself out. Yeah. <laughs> she's, uh, um, yeah, is there a good sparkling? 
Yes, there are sparkling good sparklings, but don't ask me about them because I don't drink them. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't there someone in Tasmania? I definitely went to their place who got some award in France and did some amazing stuff. Like the only person. They've got the climate in Tasmania, so the best sparklings in Australia will come from Tasmania or do come from Tasmania. Yarra Valley produce some, I believe. Margaret River do a few good sparklings. Um, So, of course, they're good sparkling wines, Mm. but they're not champagne. I love that. And the same as, you know, they will carry on about, you know, England. Um, and, you know, they've got, because they've got that chalk down that southern part, right down the end. There's chalk there. You know, the chalk starts, the White Cliffs of Dover, comes mm. through the channel. Um, and that's when they had to build the channel. They were saying, complaining, they had to dig through all this chalk to make that channel because mm. that big vein goes through. Um, it's most beautiful in Champagne, that northern part of France. Um but I was given a tasting by a sommelier over there. He said, oh, you wouldn't have tried this champagne before. Tell me what you think of it. And I said, no, I don't recognise the house. I don't recognise the wine. And the sommelier was being a bit, she was a bit naughty because she said to me, you know, well, this will be, be a small grower if it is, and I was tasting it. She said, you wouldn't. I said, no. And then it was interesting. I said to her, I wasn't being cheeky with it, but I was just being honest. And I went, as a matter of fact, you've told me it's a champagne, so it's having some little small grow I don't know. But I said, I, I wouldn't, that's not, for me, I can't get a toilet. I don't think, I wouldn't think that's a real champagne, but you've told me it is. She was so furious. She said, this is the champagne we make in England. Mm. This is in London. So it was really naughty. But I, it, it, I could tell immediately it was not champagne. Mm. You get this wonderful thing called autolysis in champagne. Uh, autolysis comes from the yeast lees. It affects the structure of the wine but not the flavour of the wine. And the smells you get from autolysis, um, you get that lovely toast, um, mushroomy, you get mushroom, and you also get that lovely, only known to Australians, Vegemite, because Vegemite is a pure yeast extract. And you get those smells. Um, mm. This one particularly had lovely Vegemite, nose to a toast and Vegemite, yum. Toast, Vegemite and a glass of champagne is a brilliant combination. <laughs> but uh, we get autolysis, and you only get autolysis from real champagne. You don't get it from sparkling wines. But I know they're making, and I think probably uh, for sparkling wines in the world, it's being said that the Australians are making the best sparkling wines. Right. Well, yeah, they've all, people have all said that, experts and so forth. But I drink the money, drink that and that anyway, so I don't drink... Water and champagne. Yes, because people want to say, tell me what's your favourite sparkling wine. Well, I don't drink sparkling, so I don't <laughs> have a favourite. Do you ever say sparkling water? No, I don't drink sparkling water either. Because <laughs> there's enough bubbles in this, so that's why I always drink still water. Go to functions, they go, do you want sparkling? I said, no, only serve them still, do not. There's enough bubbles in this, they don't need any bubbles in that. Mm. Yeah. So I only ever have need still water. Yeah, mm. exactly. Enough bubbles happening Freshen with that. that palette. Mm. 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 So I think we got to the dosing. Dosage. Uh, dosage. So mm. what happens next? So what happens is before we add the dosage going back, so the bottles lie in these dark, dark, chalk, underneath the ground mm. at nine degrees, mm. right? They lie there for years and years. Mm. Um, so for me, for instance, that's a 2015 base, this big hut Simon, Subois. So that's been lying down in those cellars for all those years. Right? Um, and then when it's ready, they're either hand-turned or by a machine called a Giro pallet. Most NVs are turned by a Giro pallet, except for Paul Roger, they turn everything by hand. 
but Giro Pallet, but otherwise in vintages are turned by a Remy Wear. And those Remy Wears that turn the bottles, they turn between 40 and 60,000 bottles a day. It's an eighth of a turn, flick of a wrist. They like, it's like watching a beautiful pen. It's like going, Ooh. So do it by hand. You seen that, Scarlett? No. So they're turning the bottle just a little an bit. An eighth of a turn, just an eighth of a turn. Oh, yeah. cool. And when yeah. they've done eight turns, they're back to the start, then they start again, and they keep turning to get the dead yeast, because we put yeast and sugar in to bring about the second fermentation, to get the yeast down to the neck of the bottle. Right. So they turn them, and then they slant them. They In, in the little propets they use, there's a little... Into thing, and then they will lift and lift, and in the end, they become what we call surpoint on their toe. They're right up the other way, like this, because all the dead yeast is down there in the neck of the bottle. Mm-hmm. So they're upside down, yeah, upside down, like that. And they surpoint now, they can leave them surpoint for years and years and years because there's yeast in there. The yeast keeps the wine alive, it won't die when the yeast is in there. So the yeast is keeping that wine alive. And it can stay there. I've had them, you know, 79. We'll be going somewhere. We'll go for lunch and they've got a point. Well, would you like to take one of these? Oh, yeah, I'll have the 79 today. I'll have the 83. And then they'll just degorge it. They've got a lift machine. lifts off the top and the little pallet because there's enough pressure, five to six atmospheres of pressure in a bottle, equivalent to the pressure in the tyre of a double-deck bus, and it will pop out a little bit of dead yeast. In champagne process, though, that's just those old ones like that, and they don't need any dosage because as they've been ageing, they get that lovely honey quality from ageing, sweetness that you don't need. But talking about the ordinary bottles, all of these, so they the bottles are turned, so they're their surpoint, and then they go through a machine. This is very factory-like here, a brine solution, which is about that deep. And it runs like that. They five run along the brine solution. Pardon? About five centimetres? Yes. And this brine solution runs along that. The brine solution, like, sort of freeze. It's not hard freeze, but like gelati freeze. The neck of the, the, the top of the bottle. Ah, then so a machine the... turns it up like that. A machine, it's very factory-like now. And then a little thing goes, and takes off the little top. Most NVs, you put them down, and we put them down with a crown cap seal lined with cork. We love cork in champagne. We will never have screw cap things. Never, ever, ever. And by the way, when they use cork in champagne, we buy the most expensive and the best cork. All from Spain and Portugal. And they're the best. But anyway, but I know white and red wines are now all screw caps and that's fine. It was good for them because they had a lot of corked wines. Can you tell me how many cork champagnes you ever have? Never. I don't think. Mm. They're not many, really. Because it's a taint in the cork. But because they buy the most expensive cork, the best cork, um, you rarely will get a corked champagne, cork bottle. I do hundreds of uh, functions, events, and we don't get any cork wines. One every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, so we put a crown cup seal alone with cork, so the wine never touches cork. We just love cork. And then a machine, a little thing will take that off, and then that the little pallet of ice will pop out like that. You hear bang, 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 bang. It hits against the little metal wall things. And then, because we've lost so much wine, about that much wine, and we also need, it's bone dry because everybody's sure it's been converted to alcohol. So therefore, we need to do the dosage, your liqueur d'expedition, we call it. So every house has its own recipe. And as I said to you before, it depends on what wine uh, you're using, what vintages you've used, what vintage you're using, if you're doing a vintage or it's an envy, the proportion, you'll taste that and then you'll say, yeah, 
we've got enough there's enough sweetness from the vintage or whatever. Like this was a base year 15, this was a, a riper year two, so they didn't need a lot of dosage in that. Um, then they'll make their decision about what the dosage should be. And then it's put into a little machine and that will come down and go boom, 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 boom. And then a cork's put in. Corks are really thick. They're very thick. And then they have a thing that plunges them in. So we don't get oxidation. No room in it. It goes in and then we put the mousselet, the little mousselet, which is there's a little wire. Oh, yeah. The bouchon is the cork. And then the little mousselet is a little wire with a little plaque on the top. Um, and then we put that down, wire it down, and then, and then, oh, I'm so proud to tell you this part, then the wine goes back to the mother's womb, back to the chalk cellars for six more months to allow that liqueur d'expedition, we say like that much, to blend in with the wine. Six mm. more months. Turn. Another wine I was going to, pardon? Do they turn it then? No, 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 it's all finished. Okay, so they don't need to mix it in, it sort of just happens. They put that in, yeah, they put that in, and then it goes down and it's all put in. It will lie just in the cellar, so as it yeah. lies and it just mixes through without okay. a problem. Yeah. Yeah, that all happens automatic. That's mixed in when they do that liquid expertise on the bottles. Right, okay. Turned. Then it goes down, and then six more months. And that one wine I was talking about before, which I won't name, my least favourite wine in the world, um, it's the whole thing's made in four months. Mm. Six months just to allow that liquid expertise on to blend so in. So how long champagne take to make? If this other one that you don't like, which we're not going to mention, is that's a wine. Months. Yeah, we're not mentioning it, but the wine I dislike intensely. Oh, yeah. um, it's <laughs> good correction. Its on whole my... life is four months from when it's picked to when you have it in the bottle shop. So that's the one that's not champagne. Oh no, it's just a still wine, but it's vile. Right. It's what is most popular white drink for women in Australia. Oh, we know the one. You know the one, yeah. It's gross. Well, I think we do. Well, you've got a good palate if you think it's gross because it is gross. It is. But every woman likes it. But anyway, that's enough. But I think that's four months its whole life. We do six months just to allow that liquid expedition on to blend into the wine. It's taking that. So, so as we said about these wines, like uh, we've had nothing. We've had 18. That would have been a seventh. I'll try in a minute. I think that's probably a 17 base. This is a 15 base. And these are non-vintages. All that time in their cellars. The vintages, like I said, the current vintage at the moment, there's three houses that put out a 15 vintage um, of the main houses, probably three of them, maybe four of them. But we're on to over 50. It's got 15 out for the Rosé and the Blanc de Blanc. Uh, but most houses are on their 14 or 13 or on their 12. Some are only still on their 8. All the years and the work that goes into that, the... You get a bottle of champagne, it's been handled in some way from the picking, because all the grapes, by the way, the grapes are hand-picked. You can't use mechanical harvesters because as it would do that, it would pick all those black grapes and then you get all this pink through all of that. Mm. So it must be hand-picked. Then they hand-sort it. They pick the bunches and then they'll look and there'll be a bad grape that goes on the ground. They'll pick another bad one up. And, and it's a time it. as well, like there's a certain start to the season and a finish to the season. There is. So you can't pick the champagne grapes outside those dates. No, you can't. And it's all set by a body called the CIVC. Um, they're the body that run the whole of champagne. But ensures you and I, the consumer, a perfect product. You never hear scandals in champagne. Well, why would they do it? Why would they ruin their whole beautiful mm. careers and everything by doing something scandalous? Like you can only use the grapes in your region. You can't bring in a grape from outside. Mm. It's You just can't do it. Mm. You only have the grapes in the Champagne region 
And so every region has its own its own wild yeast, its own microclimate, the little vineyards, and then you blend, and that's why in that case like me, we just discover what pick what vineyards they're growing in. But and it makes a difference. In certain years they'll use the house will use a different vineyard because there's more complexity in one particular vineyard, or you know, the sun facing south and the rest of it this happened, this ripened and this and, and it depends on whether you want to get um in um that Le Grand Dame I was talking about that we drank. So we had a Le Grand Dame 12 vintage and then we had the, sorry, we had a, a Verclicot vintage 12 and then we had a Le Grand Dame, which is their Cuvée de Prestige, that's the top of the range. Um, and it was very interesting. As the chef de carve said, the grapes were picked like south in, in the Mountain de Lance, but in the southern uh, vineyards, and then for the Le Grand Dame, they picked in the more northern, in this little area. The difference was unbelievable. Both beautiful, but you could see one had more power, riper. The other one was so much finesse. It was incredible, like incredible. Mm. And, and so they're really fussy about, they'll pick vineyards. So some years they'll pick a particular vineyard from, Jean-Baptiste is amazing, this man. So he'll use certain vineyards because this year he wants a bit of more he wants to get a bit more steely character or he might get a fuller character and so he talks about the vineyards like they're all his children. They're all children to them. Mm. Incredible. And also going back to the first one, the Perigouette, um, lovely. So they've got a new chef to carve now, a woman who's making the wines. Beautiful. But before that was Hervé Deschamps. Hervé was there um, for his winemaker for 32 years, I think, 34 years. And you talk to him... And he talks about, you know, the different vineyards and, and what this gives and why this particular year was so important and why he used more. They put a lot of lovely crème on in there. But why he used more of this vineyard rather than that vineyard and and he makes a beautiful thing called Bellepoque. Oh, my God. It's divine, beyond divine. But So they're all... And hear these people talk. Oh, my God, it's so amazing. You'd, get, you'd, you'd be blown away. You'd be blown away. They're just amazing. So now they're starting to travel again so they can come and host dinners for me, which is beautiful, 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 beautiful. So what have people got to do to, 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 to even start to appreciate champagne as much as you do? Like, like well, they can come and do my champagne course. Mm. Okay. Where is that? I do champagne courses. So I work for the Wine Emporium and we have an education room in Maud Street, Newstead, not far down from our shop at Gasworks. Um, and so I do classes, I teach people, I teach about their palates, how you pick a year, I teach people how they pick a year mm. and how, and, and so the blend and what years are in a non-vintage and, there yeah, you, you go. see, I can, yeah, they can learn all, they can become see? experts, I knew, experts. I knew I'd make you accidentally <laughs> plug. See? <laughs> and when you're describing wines, we, talk, we talked earlier before we started, you know, we use, we don't, a grapes are grapes are grapes are grapes, as you said to me. Talk to me about the peaches and that, and why we describe wine. Well, anyone who follows wine and people, you know, are very interested in wine, thank God they are. Isn't wine the most civilised thing? Mm-hmm. Most civilised thing there is. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Seriously. Wine is just a beautiful... And this is a wine, it's just a wine with bubbles. But it's wine. So when you read any good wine writer, any wine writer, they'll talk about a wine, they'll say it's blueberries and mulberries and, and it's got strawberries and it's got peaches and lemons and limes and pineapple and... Um, figs and mango and, you know, melons and because a grape tastes like a grape, it tastes like a grape and it tastes like a grape. So 
for people who originally writing about wine long, long time ago, they'd bring into fruits that we're familiar with. So that's why we'll always talk about fruits. So when you talk about Pinot Noir, they're all the berries. They're your blueberries, blackberries, currants, strawberries, cherries, the whole berry family. And that's all to do with Pinot Noir. You'll always get those things. In Chardonnay, it's in the middle to the back of the palate, Chardonnay you start off being citrusy, so you do lemons and limes and grapefruit, then you'll get peaches, you'll get nectarines, you'll get pear, you'll get melon, you'll get apples, and then as it ripens you'll get uh, flavours like, um, you can go into pineapple, the first, that lovely one there, had some beetles, which means there's some grapes from Cézanne. Cézanne's on the southern end of the Côte de Blanc, and I always, if I've got that, I know they've got some grapes from Cézanne because it gives me a pineapple-y thing. Um, and they then, we then talk about, uh, and then it becomes, as it ages, become more honey-fired, it becomes caramel, becomes can become chocolate, it can become coffee as they age, the older wines. Uh, unbelievable. Um, but we liken fruits, so all the fruit flavours, all the fruits, and the Chardonnays, all the fruits apart from berries. It doesn't really have berries in it. So if you're doing a blind tasting and you're tasting a champagne that has a pineapple, you, that, is that your clue to work out its growing region? Yeah, if it's got a pineapple flavour, I'll know that some of that came from Cezanne. Wow. It's got a pineapple thing. And then you get other things like Le Manil for me has got this... Um, my granny used to make a thing called apple snow. You grate those Granny Smith apples, green apples, and then you fold an egg white through it. That's what gets that snowy effect that was called apple snow. Now, you're far too young, you'd never know about apple snow, but anyway. Um, and this apple snow, loved it. And when I get lemonil, I get apple snow, and I know it's lemonil. There's definitely lemonil in that, you know, and you get. And so different vineyards give me different characteristics. And IE um, I. E. is my favourite village for Pinot Noir. And you pick IE like it's the most elegant divine for black grape. And I get flavours there that just show me that that's definitely IE. And then you'll get Verzenay, it's got its own characteristics. Um, on always gives me strawberries, ripe strawberries and stuff. But you get all these different vineyards that give you... Aviz is in the Cote Blanc and it's chalk. Some lovely chalk. It's like you're sucking a piece of the beautiful chalk. And when you mm. think about chalk, think of an aspirin. A little bit of aspirin is that chalky. Because mm. you've got this amazing chalk. This chalk, chalk, chalk is just... That's what champagne is about. Mm. Because they grow in chalk, they live in chalk. The wines are put back into the mother's womb into chalk. That's all they ever know is chalk. They know nothing but chalk. And this chalk is just quite incredible. And that's why I said the cellars never change nine degrees there. They grow there. That's why they can go through those really, when they have the very cold seasons, they stay alive because chalk gives them warmth. The chalk gives them water. Not that they're short of water. They get a lot of water over there. But... Um, but it will absorb any moisture, any water, so they're never dry, you know, they're always watered, in other words, from the chalk. So chalk is this, I think it's very sacred. And when we talk about chalk, we've got to think about our barrier reef because our coral is chalk, mm. same thing. That's why, you know, Champagne was a, an inland sea 60 million years ago. So that's the chalk, and that's what we've got there. They're all panicking about, but you saw the scientists just came out recently to say, yeah, the chalk, the regrowth up there is amazing in the Barrier Reef, amazing, because mm. it regrows, it grows. Now chalk here is the same, the chalk in Champagne. It's a living magical thing, white gold. Did we finish the champagne-making process? 
No, yeah, we've put we've it back in there for six months and then that's the fish. That, no, that's for that year when we add that liqueur d'expedition. Yes. The dosage of the wine, we put it back there. But before that, yes, the wine's, the wine's all blended. The chef de cave, doing the assemblage is important. That's the earlier stage. But where they'll get, so these chef de caves and his team of winemakers, they will get 100 wines. So we're talking about still wines at this stage. So um, the wines, grapes are all picked, which they've just done now. They're so, pressed. So when is harvest time in Champagne? Well, this is just finished now. Okay. September, it's finished now. Or might have a week to go, about September. No. So start anywhere from late August and go through till October. Excuse me, um, October. So um, the grapes now are still wines. So all the still wines are lying there with everyone named. So it's kept grape by grape. Village by village, grower by grower. They'll start off with 100 wines to do this assemblage. Not like that other grape thing I was talking about before, that other wine that's got one grape four months its whole life. Forbid. Anyway, so they'll do 100 wines and then they'll taste and spit every day. Mm. How they do it, I did it once only and I would never do it again. Um, and they're so acidic. It'll take all the enamel off your teeth, it's so raw. They taste bit, taste bit, day after day after day after day after day after day. And then they'll get, they'll finally get to an agreement where they like this one, this, 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 this. They'll blend those together. That's what I call the art of assemblage, bringing it together. So they'll have the, the base wines they've all tried and then they'll add the reserve wines from the different years, like... Jean-Baptiste has put, you know, he's got the 18 base and then he has this perpetual reserve thing that he does where he keeps adding every year. So therefore you've got 17, 16, 15, 14, 13 and 12. Then he takes from those oak barrels where he's put a bit of that oak used to put in that and adds those in as well, which goes right back. Um, and then they do that blending. So that's, and that's to make one non-vintage champagne. Um, in this case, they're all oak, so everything's in oak. They're all being kept in oak, and they'll blend. That's the big heart Simon, Subois, and they'll have the base year, which is 15, and then they'll put 14, 13, 12 in that. There's no 11 in that, but there's a bit of 10, and there's actually, I think, a bit of 9 in that as well. So they, they keep all that reserve. So they blend those all in. They blend that all in until they get the, until they get the perfect, you know, the blend that says I am Big Heart, I'm Subois, I'm a Perry Jouet. This is um let's pull that one. Just have a little bit. This one. Um, I'll tell you what ears are in this one. But they blend until they get the perfect thing that says I am Perry Jouet, for instance, you know. Um you're going to have to get a video of you teaching people how to taste wine or champagne properly. Mm -hmm. That's a great one. That's this one. You can taste it. You pick the glass. Your taste buds must be so, like, smart. Do you want one of these? Do you want to yeah. get this one? You take know. this one. I'll, I'll bring Which one was it? The first one? First one. Yeah. This is the first one now. Perry Jouet. Scarlet, you want to put it's some? It's a blonde blonde. Anyway, that's my Clexi on. I kept mine in order. Very smart. You are smart, Graham. Um, mm. So this one, 
on blanc. So this is Perigouette on a blanc. So this is a 17 base. Um, they put... So then probably by the end of the year they might have their 18 base, but that's a 17 base. Beautiful year, lovely base wine. Um, there's a bit of 16 in that, not much. There's 15, definitely 15, because you've got the ripeness of 15. If you remember tasting this one, mm -hmm. 15 year, okay. Mm -hmm. So this is 17. This is all Chardonnay, whereas that's got the three grapes in it, the big cuts them on. This is 17 base, um, 16, 15 in that. Definitely 14. 14 and 13 were great years for Chardonnay. And he's put 14, 13 in that one too. Um, there's probably a touch of 12, but it doesn't go beyond 12, that one. But beautiful. And to keep the freshness, um, Chardonnay you want to keep fresh. You don't want all the flavours. You want Chardonnay. And, and Eve made this wine. So fresh and so lovely and so absolutely beautiful. And what you want from a Chardonnay in our hot climate too, my goodness me, is Blanc de Blanc's beautiful in our hot climate, the middle of summer. You have a little glass of Blanc de Blanc, crispy and a very hot day. You have a glass of that. Amazing, like beautiful. Um, and there's, and so therefore in, like he's got a lot of Cremant there. Um, He's got some of that avis, the chalky. You get that little bit of chalky. Mm. And the other thing you get from the wine, it's also the bit of saltiness. You think of those salt, what do you call those things, Graham? The, the bushes that a lot of the chefs use now. Salt bush. Yeah, salt There's another name. There's, there's like a little, um, it's like a little, um, like that pig's face. Little Sandfire? Sandfire, that's it. Or a cacala? No, sand, what's the one? Sand, Sandfire? Sandfire. Yeah. That's beautiful. That yes. I love, I love that. Chefs often use them and some of my serving a blanc de blanc, maybe with some little seafood or whatever, and put that in and that bite, that little, oh, my God, that oh, salty. salty, yeah. Dore it. It's one of the best things. Remember I told you about salt? Sea asparagus that, is the other name Is it? it yeah. Sea asparagus. Love it, love it. And with champagne, and you can see a bit of that, you can see a bit of that salt bush in that. That amazing. And it's got a bit of that pineapple. This has got the bit of the, from Cesar. So you've got... Cremont, you've got to have this. You've got Cezanne because that... Can you get that little almost taste of pineapple? I can have some more. Have a little taste. You get that sort of pineapple-y... Mm. Little pineapple... Mm. Not, 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 not big ripe, not bethongas. It's sort of that, uh, riper, a little lighter, not as... Oh, my God, it's there. Not as ripe, yeah. Yeah, no, not as ripe. But beautiful, and those little, you know, like ripe... Like lovely peaches and lovely nectarines and white nectarines and but almost a ripe nectarine. Yeah, be? very ripe. Yeah, beautiful and ripe peaches. Um, not pear in that one, but um, but that's a yellow peach too, isn't it? That it I is. It is white. a yellow. Yeah. It is a yellow. God, he's good. Hey, mm. sure he was so good. <laughs> it is a yellow peach. It is a yellow peach. Um, and also, it's got that lovely. The citrus, though, is, is like that, I said, pomelo, that mm. beautiful, beautiful uh, yellow pomelo yeah. thing. Um, it's not lime, so you have, you're not down to that lime stage no, or anything. It's pomelo, yeah. But, yeah, that yeah, little pomelo. And if any, if there's lemon in there, it's that real ripe bush lemon, very ripe bush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It hasn't got grapefruit. 
I'm going to bring you a beautiful pomelo for you to enjoy one day. Now we should oh, also get pomelo. some Egyptian foods. Oh, pomelo. Because it's hard to get pomelo. You can't buy them. Ah. Do you know where you can get that, me a pomelo? Is, I can, mm. Well, you know what? The season's actually just finished. But yeah. um, there is a grower, Peter Solaris. He's also been on the podcast. And he has the secret recipe um, for us. Oh, it's pomelo. called an N15, which is row N, tree number 15. And he's got this pomelo, which... When he told me, I thought, he said, you're going to open that and eat the whole thing. And it's a big piece of fruit. And I'm like, no, I'm not, Pete. Sure enough, I could not stop eating it. It was so delicious. Oh, I love pomelo. I love it. And it's in, in, not every champagne, it's in certain champagnes. And when you get that pomelo, I'm addicted to it. It's like, I love it because it's a great flavour and there's pomelo in that. You go back to when you taste that pomelo, you think about the taste and oh, this yeah. one. Yeah, no, it's taking can you me get back it? there. I'm on the farm. I can feel the air. Absolutely. But... How good. Mm. You know what? We should actually do, um, that would be a lovely trip, actually, because he has a farm mm. that is basically like Noma's test kitchen, but it's a test farm. So wow. We got a, there was a flower so from South. Uh, Whereabouts is he? Uh, Mission Beach up North Queensland, Cairns. Oh, wow. Right? This is the... There was a, do you want to fill that one up? There was a flower, right? Mm. Is this the second one? Yeah, the, the second one. Second or third? No, the third one was Big Cut Samoa. Oh, okay. No. Um, Near Mission Beach. Oh, my God. So, yeah, Test Farm, right? And, yeah. and, and the story goes that every time I go there, some tree that he planted we go back to, and every time the tradition is that when I'm there, um, we get... He, the prize piece of fruit that no one's ever had before oh is on. God. So we went up to this thing, and there was this flower, and we and we shook the the the, the nectar, I guess, or whatever was in the flower, and he said, "Taste that; it'll taste like butter, butterscotch, butterscotch, or or like a raw uh, cake dough almost." And it was so beautiful. I looked at Scarlett, and I was like, and she was filming. I'm going, like, "You have to try this flower," and. No, this exactly. is the, the absolute privilege of talking to people like yourself and Peter on this, you know, your palate, the cutting edge of actually seeing these things. I feel like we're, we're in the future of, of food, you know, the celebration of long-term uh, champagne. But this, these sort of things, we are so blessed to be able to do what we do and go around and talk to people wow. about these things and Beautiful. the smells and the flavours. But that far... Smells and flavours are so important. Oh, they are so important to life. They're so important. They're one beautiful thing that we have left, and that's why I like my former life. My mother had a flower business, so I was a floral designer. And um, for me, those two things, the transient beauty of flowers oh. and champagne, because you can't, you can't keep them. But you have those flowers there, and then they will drop and die, but they'll give you so much joy and everything in life. It's like the champagne. We're having it now. That bottle will be gone. The next bottle will taste different, but you have this beautiful thing, and I think that's what I love about them. Is, is that just the beauty of life in right. itself? It is you the know, beauty of I think life. we should just. Are you right? That makes me like. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it is the beauty of life. And yeah, so we can keep changing and keep moving, and you've just got to keep enjoying every moment, right? You don't know how short life is or how long. We're not blessed like the beautiful queen. Long life, but it, you oh, know, but amazing that? woman. Yeah. Wow, incredible. But you know, we have to enjoy every moment, yes. And that's why, when you like, why would you waste your life drinking 
a cheap garbagey wine. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> but seriously, why would you waste one day of your life? You know, um, you just wouldn't. You just can't. You just can't do it. It's like ridiculous. Okay, we're back. It's very important to have food with champagne because it's alcohol. So we had to have a little break. But the greatest champagne you've ever drunk. Tell me about that. Well, it was amazing and very relevant now to the time with the you know the Queen's death. Uh, this was a wine that a champagne um, that was served by King George the Fifth. Okay, so the Queen's father was George the Sixth, the Fifth, for his father's funeral. Who was Edward the Seventh? Who was a great famous playboy and had lots of mistresses, and so he drank champagne every day. Um, and for his funeral, and that was the time with the monarchy, um, every house in Europe, every every country in Europe had a monarchy except for Switzerland. They were neutral and France, they chopped all their heads off in France. Um, and so all these people came for this great funeral in London, which I think will be surpassed by the Queen's one, probably, I think, and so it should be. But anyway, this was the greatest funeral being held. And um, they came from everywhere. Uh, and, and amongst them were eight kings. There were eight kings at the time. So this is before Russian Revolution, before World War One, all the stuff of it. The eight kings, and so George V said, "My dad, who adored champagne, it was his drink every day. Um, we need to have the most special thing at that time. The most special champagne, the whole, the best in the whole of champagne, was Paul Roger, eighteen ninety-two, um, and that was served for." This the eight kings of this beautiful, and I've actually got a copy of the menu. They drank and wow. and which is incredible. Um, but going back to so, I have been very blessed. I myself, I've been able to drink the nineteen hundred, the nineteen oh four, the nineteen oh seven, the twelve, the fourteen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty uh, some in the 30s, some in the 40s, and everything in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. A very, very blessed person I am. <laughs> but I never drank anything for the 19th century. And this message went around. I was in one particular house where they did have some bottles. They said, no, 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 we'll not sell it. This is priceless. We'll never sell it. And so I couldn't buy one. But the message went around. So my lovely friend Christian Paul Roger, God rest his soul, and he heard this. And so I was there at the home with some group of people and he presented me with the bottle of Paul Roger, 1892. And I was, uh, I can't tell you, I was so moved. And it was this time when we couldn't take more than 200 mils on a plane yourself. You remember, you read of everything in small. So, because he, but he put, he put wax all over the cork. So he knew down there, it had to be down with the luggage, that the cork might pop. So he waxed all that anyway. So I got... There's a very funny story, but I won't tell it on here, but very funny story about getting it through customs here. But <laughs> but anyway, but I I arrived home with this amazing, amazing, incredible wine um, and I opened it and I was just taken to a world that I had never been to before. It was the – remember it being down in their dark cellars, pitch black at nine degrees. No, their, their cellars are eight degrees, not nine, eight. Eight degrees in pitch black for all its life never moved, and it was so remarkable. I cried. I just cried and cried. Um, I'll show you a description of it later, what it was like. But I was so moved and I phoned him to say, Christian, it's divine, beyond divine, beyond the most beautiful thing I've ever drunk. And he said, 
Well, Benedict, I didn't give you anything. I gave you the greatest thing we've ever made. So the founder, Paul Roger of the house, he, the last wine he made was 1892. His grandson was born in 1892, you know, carry on the, the family name. Um, he died in 1899. He was still drinking the 1892. They hadn't released, Paul Roger usually keep their vintages for 10 years or something, so they hadn't released any vintage after that. He'd made that wine, he was drinking it. And so it was served by when George V said for my dad, I want the greatest champagne. It was then considered the greatest champagne in the whole of the region, the greatest was that. So they served it at this dinner, incredible. And then the next year he was, it was his coronation and he said, the only one I want is that, that Paul Roger. And so I was very privileged to open a bottle and have this bottle. It's the oldest wine I've drunk, 1892. And it wasn't good. It was remarkable. It was unbelievable. I was just in tears. I was in tears. It was so when people think champagne lives, my God, it lives. But you must remember when people listen to this, you can't have a bottle, you find a bottle, oh yes, oh that's what this 50-year-old. Unless it's been cellared well. I mean, this has been cellared down in their dark chalk cellars. So if you're going to sell her at home, remember you've got to have you've got to have a wine fridge or you've got to have a proper cellar under the you've got to have air conditioning in it. You can't live in Queensland without air conditioning in the cellar. I'd put air conditioning in my cellar even if I didn't have it in the house because the wines have to have air they have to be kept cool. But anyway, just to show you how the age of a wine that's the oldest one I've drunk, but it was beyond remarkable. To finish up. What message would you like to tell everyone about champagne? Well, my message is the fact that champagne is the greatest drink in the world. It's the greatest wine. It's a wine with bubbles. It's so pure because it goes through a double fermentation in the bottle. It's the purest wine you can drink, the purest wine you can drink. Um, it's got the least amount of sulfur dioxide in it. It's just the most, so it's absolutely the most beautiful tonic you can have. It's, it's just a great, amazing wine. Um, it also gives you joy and happiness. Mm. Um, and you think, you know, how can you buy joy and happiness? Buy a bottle of champagne. <laughs> that will give you that joy and happiness. <laughs> and I love, to finish, can I give you my favourite quote about champagne? I'm an Oscar Wilde freak. I love Oscar Wilde. I'm such a fan of Oscar Wilde. I know everything about Oscar Wilde. But I love his quote when he said, other people drink champagne to make themselves feel better, but I drink champagne to make other people look better. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bernadette. It's absolute pleasure and privilege to talk to you, and I'm so glad that you live around the corner from me because I can't wait to share more champagne with you if that's okay. And, um, yeah, you're amazing. This is the longest ever podcast, and uh, we don't normally let them go this long, but today we could not resist. So thank you so very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.